Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the House of Pot. I'm Kaveh. And I'm Lizzie. And if this is your first time listening, we're a medical... Sort of. ...podcast where we try to discuss medicine and health in a relatable way. And we will answer questions you may not feel comfortable asking your doctor and definitely won't bring up to your friends. On today's show, we're talking to James Seaboot, Michelin-starred chef and author about a life in the restaurant business, kitchen hazards, and his relationship with Anthony Bourdain. Stay tuned. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. Welcome back to the House of Pod. I'm Kaveh. I'm Lizzie. And Joe is joining us over the telephone because he is at a Goop conference in Orlando. So he has to call <laughs> us via phone. Hey, Joe. Hey, what's going on, guys? guys Reporting down here over at Goop. How's, how's Gwyneth doing? Well, I haven't had a chance to meet her yet, but uh, got a lot of questions for her. Yeah. We should. We, okay. He's not at a <clears throat> conference. He's not. But he's not here. So he's on the phone. Well, I am bummed that I missed um, the interview with Jennifer Gunter, Dr. Gunter, because it was hysterical. And her just talking about crazy vagina articles was like the highlight of my day that day listening to the podcast. Um, so you I like did, that term? I did. Crazy vagina article. For no specific reason. CVA. <laughs> CVA, right. Yep. I felt like if we were going to name the show, it would have been Crazy Vagina Articles. Um, but I did, the one thing you guys brought up at the end was this concept of vagina shaming. So I just wanted to like elaborate on that a little bit because she said, you know, she sort of made a career of it and the New York Times asked her to, 
communicate more about it. And, and now she's has this personality and this following and she's fantastic because she's just honest and smart and, and funny, you know, which is was what we try to bring here at the House of Pod as well. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted because I, I wasn't sure what that meant. And, you know, so you, Kaveh, as a man, have you... Have you vagina shamed anyone recently? <laughs> on the way here, you mean? Uh, no, I mean, not on the way here, but... I just saw um, you texting. Are you sure? <laughs> it was to Joe, so yes. Um, no, I... Uh, when I was referring to... We're talking about the last episode. We had Jennifer Gunter. She's an MD. The Internet's uh, resident... Or the Twitter's resident OB guy. And she wrote this article talking about how she could do without men telling her how to take care of her own vagina. And uh, I thought it was a great article. I thought it was really funny and very poignant and, and very honest. And, uh, you know, one of the things that was important to me about talking about that is I think for women and I think for men, too, there are a lot of people who make a lot of money off of our insecurities about our genitalia. Yeah. You guys talked about that. I think it's fascinating. But I'm concretely I'm just being concrete. Is it like a mansplaining thing, like just men having any opinion on your grooming? Or is it like literally this weird version of shame that maybe women feel about like their smell and, and the looks and all I that stuff? I feel like you asking me to explain to you <laughs> vagina shaming is like you're setting me up for a mansplaining trap. That's first of all, that's <laughs> but I just the point is like, I don't really get it. Like, oh, you okay. know, so what I was getting at was like um, the, there were guys like complaining about like the odor. Yeah. For example, of the vagina. And uh, and we were we were explaining how, you know, uh, barring very specific sorts of like infectious problems, there's nothing wrong with a natural odor. And she doesn't want any woman out there to feel shame about having a perfectly normal (laughs) vagina or, or normal bacterial flora in her vagina. So. That was what her article was about. That's kind of what we were talking about. Because I, I'm sure men and their scrotum and their manscaping have very similar things. We, we, I, I think so. I don't know if she thought as much. I think she probably rightfully so thinks women have gotten more the brunt of this sort of oh, sure. genitalia shaming. Uh, but, Say but, what? but there is, but there is, you know, there's like, that's why you see all these like um, emails and all these commercials for like male enhancement to like, you know, that's been around forever. Like yeah. you eat this rhinoceros's horn, you eat like this, the bill of some super rare like penguin and right. you get like, you get better like in, endowments. That's, and you're able to, people are, have been able to make money off of this yeah. since the dawn of time. Yeah. The insecurities. You're right. Um, and then I also recently read this thing about vajazzling. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which um, just the best part of that whole list of things that you could get to enhance or bedazzle, if you will, your lady parts was this thing called clitter. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it a beautiful pun? Are you serious? That means for those goop listeners, glitter plus clit is clitter. Wait, so what is it? Is it like you like it's like sparkle dust for your hoo-ha? All I remember is saying that it turns your labia into yabia. Oh my god. Hey, okay. hey, if you guys want to sponsor us, Clitter, we will seriously consider it. I think the company was Vajazzling. That's, okay. That's Vajazzling with a V. Oh man, I will sell that. Will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um no, anyway, so I just wanted to bring that up and sort of clarify what it meant because I you know, I clearly don't understand because I clearly don't have much shame. I don't I don't <laughs> <laughs> But I, and I wanted you, Kaveh, to explain to me. 
uh, yeah. how I should feel about no my vagina. Anything else you need explained to you about your vagina. Okay. <laughs> I have your cell phone, <laughs> That's right? right. And call us. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of calling us, don't forget our number is 408 408- Four 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 six six two three. That's four zero eight four 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 six six two three. Make sure you call us and leave us any voicemails, any questions, any comments, anything you want. Also, you can email us at hopquestions at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes. Please rate, review, subscribe. It helps get listeners if you rate us. And follow us on Instagram at, and Twitter at the House of Pod. At the House of Pod. So Joe, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to stick around for this uh, next interview with James Seaboot. He is a world-renowned, amazing chef. I'm a big fan. I'm excited to have him on. Sorry you can't be here, bud. Yeah, I'm really bummed out, but I have to go to my annual uh, bodybuilding uh, convention. <laughs> Lou Ferrigno, Bench 400. So. Thanks for stopping by, Joseph. Oh, Joe, leave us All a... Right, guys. Will you do me a favor? Just leave us a voicemail question for him, and we'll play it when he's here. Sure, will do. Stay tuned. On the show with us today is, in my opinion, it's not just my opinion, opinion of many others, one of the best chefs around. He's worked at some of the best kitchens in the world, including the Fat Duck, Daniel Patterson's Koi, El Bouli, and in 2009, he opened his first restaurant in Oakland, California. It's called Komi. It holds two Michelin stars. Then he opened up Hawker Fair in Oakland in 2011 and another in San Francisco in 2015. He has two more restaurants called Old Can Beer Company and Hawking Bird, both in Oakland. He is the author of a book called Hawker Fair, Stories and recipes from a refugee chef, chefs Isen, Thai, and Lao roots. So, you've seen him on shows like Iron Chef and Top Chef. You've seen him on Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. Ladies and gentlemen, we have James Seaboot. James, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, on. thank you very much. Uh, Looking forward. It's gonna be a fun discussion. I think so. We'll talk about food, health, and all the hazards that come with those two things. Um, Tra- Traveler's diarrhea will be a hot topic. I actually, think that'll be the name of this show. It's actually not, not a bad idea because you've traveled to some places, I'm sure, that don't have quite the same like level of food prep and hygiene and stuff, right? Oh, my God. Kavi's yeah, obsessed with the ratings, the I mean, health scores in yeah, America. In America? You know, um, funny question you ask. Like, when I go travel, you know, you got to look how locals eat right yes obviously we don't have an iron stomach like them they're used to it you know they're antibodies they've been eating that way since they were grown so have iron stomachs for us as travelers we don't have that so much yeah um but you know we want that authentic quote-unquote hate that word um experience and the best way to do it you you see where you know the police officers eat you see (laughs) where you ask your taxi driver it's like where do you eat on your break and a little inoculation never hurt anyone. Never hurt. I mean, you just like, I mean, rule of thumb is if the food stand or hawker vendor is not busy, yeah, that's not the line to go if to. If there's not turnover. It's not, not turnover. Either. Yeah, exactly. So uh, have you ever gotten a bad one traveling? I did. Uh, it was actually in Laos. Uh, <laughs> it was myself, my co-author, John Berthesaw, and Eric Wolfing, the photographer. In Laos, we went on a long, treacherous bike ride in Long Prabang Hills. And we saw this roadside place that had goat. And it's like, it was, it was not busy. It's like, oh, it's not going to be busy. It's three. It's, who's going to eat dinner at, you know, four 
p.m. Mm-hmm. So we thought we ate there. It's like, I don't know if the goat was it. It could be in the water. It could be in the ice. Uh, yeah. But we all blame the goat just, yeah. just to say it was the goat. Um, funny, like, you know, you know, traveling with Anthony and he was here to do a stand-up. Anthony he was Bourdain. doing stand up like comedy comedy yeah oh, for his I book tour appetites for a little bit yeah. and Anthony Bourdain does stand up yeah oh my he's God. actually really really good he's like scary good post a link to that so I went to go see him in San Jose he invited me to come over and one of the questions was how many times he got food poisoned granted he traveled the world sure. you know he said three or four times and wow the logic reason he's like where do you get food poisoning he's like actually not on the streets not the taco stand it's actually in hotels Mm-hmm. And he explains, he's like, okay, you know, the guy who worked in hotels is saying pasta carbonara, who doesn't really give a shit what he does. He's yeah, a yeah. paycheck. He doesn't care about Santa. You know, yeah, that right. pasta of, you know, in India traveled so far, you know, I'd rather be eating like street food that, you yeah, know, that's right, the guy right. outside with the stand feeding his own community. He's not going to poison his own community. Right, yeah. right, right. I've you see a, his face, you know who you're getting it from. Exactly. And yeah. he and, and, and he runs out and that's it. He cooks yeah. for the day. Um, I know some chefs and I watch a lot of Food Network, Top Chef. Those people are impeccably clean. You know, it's always about how clean is your station, how clean is your station. So if it is someone who's passionate about their food, like you're saying, it, yeah. it does make sense that... It would maybe be a little bit cleaner because oh, of the yeah. And the the by the way, as an aside, the OCD guy in me loves how clean your places are. By the way, oh yeah, you have for you to be like a fine dining chef. You have to be OCD. There can never yeah. be enough OCD. Oh, I love it. Sometimes I've, I visit I've, chef friends' restaurants, you know, and I go in their kitchen, and it's like we're not OCD enough. It's yeah. like what's yeah. we need to be OCD squared. So actually, I, I want to start. Let's go back and and talk about your story a little bit because i think it's really interesting it says a lot about uh, who you are and where you've uh, been and and what you're doing right now especially in oakland so you were born in thailand right yes but uh, you're raised in oakland so you said since two your mom worked as a chef in berkeley mm-hmm. at, when we first came to america yes. and then she started her own restaurant we opened her own family restaurant in concord in concord in about 1985 86 or so it was a true family restaurant my dad ran in front of the house the cooks were aunt and uncles a total family operation yeah. yeah and you worked there i worked there I, I, you know we didn't have babysitters or nannies on my weekends sometimes even after school i'll catch the bart go to concord and i, I worked a dinner shift and yeah. you know i started washing walks mm. as as see fifth grade fourth grade was like nine years old and the, and the floor mop sink because I wasn't tall enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was getting paid five bucks a week. You know, I was rich. Nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it afforded me. Yeah. I get to go 7-Eleven, buy my Slurpee, some Mountain Dew, some nachos, you know. Was, yeah, that's a lot of money for a kid. That was a lot of money for a what, kid. Did you, did you know, like, back then, were you, like, comparing yourself to other kids that, like, had weekends, per se, and they could go do things? Was that hard, or was it, do you feel, you didn't even notice? Some, it was harder during the summers, for sure. You know, like, I wasn't, and I couldn't go to birthdays. It's, yeah. it's like, oh, so and so birthday is going to happen in Alameda Beach, blah, 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 or barbecue. It's like, sorry, I can't go. It's Saturday, family business. Got to wash the walks. I, I got to, you know, got to help out the family. But it also set the tone. I mean, you're, you know, the life of a restaurant person, chef, you know, dishwasher, waiter is, is not, is not the most glamorous thing, right? I mean... At the end of the day, we're, we're still blue collar workers. You know, we always think like food's art. Food's like, you know what, we're... We just, food is becoming a more of an art form. It's more respected and higher level now. 
but then they were were feeding you calories. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. actually, so when you told your your family that you wanted to be a chef, that you were basically following the family business, how were they about that? Were they like, you know, I know some refugee families and mm-hmm. some immig- a lot of immigrant families would be like, no, we want you to be like a doctor, an engineer, etc. Like, were they like, uh, were they trying to convince you to not do it? Um, you know, I think my parents were very actually like doctors and lawyers and any white collar profession, stockbroker, like that even come to their mind. Uh, my parents were more concerned about, you know, please don't get yourself killed in the streets. Right. Mm-hmm. Please don't get incarcerated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or please do not get someone pregnant. Right. <laughs> right, right. They're more they're more concerned about that because, you know, in the Lao community, that's what happens, you know. Yeah. Kids have kids at a young age, you know, like they drop out of high school. Yeah. And or get into trouble and they join gangs and it's it's becomes a black hole. So I guess, you know, cooking was for me to escape that. I, I enjoyed it. It saved my life. Mm. And, you know, I think these when it was kind of a surprise, like when it's like, oh, I want to go to culinary school. Right. I, I knew like the ninth grade, 10th grade. It's like, I'm going to culinary school. I was like, you know, I didn't even take my SAT. So I didn't need SAT to go to culinary school. You take the PSAT? What was it? What was I, the thing you take? I did. I know I graduated high school, but um, yeah, I did. Took the PSAT, it scored 1,200. Nice. nice. I didn't even try. Um, right. Humble brag. Nice. Right. But, but yeah, but you know, it's like, yeah, I should, you know, I took, you know, AP classes because, you know, I can make the grade. And it was a point where 10th grade was on the Padilla program, Oakland Tech. It's like, I don't really need to read Charles Dickens. I'm not really interested in it. <laughs> it's like, it was like, I, I want to read Art Culinary issue number five that just came out. So yeah. I'll go down to Dolores Newsstand and spend my after school there. Well, I'm sure your family was happy if you were passionate and motivated about something. Um, but again, the industry is known for like not great health benefits, for example, mm-hmm. not great lifestyle, right. not great work hour regulations, which is something that Kaveh yeah. and I as doctors, you know, and really as trainees to be doctors are really strictly enforced. You know, you can't work more than this many hours because it's, it's not safe for patients. But in the restaurant business, you guys are wielding knives and like Hot heavy fires. machines and, you know, work, uh, work, insurance. <laughs> and liquid nitrogen, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's interesting that there is not a lot of protection in the industry. Is that something that you've experienced? Is it something as a, as an owner and a boss and an employer now yeah. that you are trying, you know, you, you care about? I, I do definitely care about safety. Uh, you know, Going back thinking as whenever you're a cook, right? You see fire, you see flames, yeah. you see things of flambe and knives. You know, you don't, you don't you don't think about that. It's 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 just it's like a sport. It's just pure adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. Right. you know. Uh, but sure, like you know, we you know safety is number one. You know, we want you want to get injured on the job. Um, health benefits, you know, we provide for our employees uh, for sure. That's like a, a, a big thing yeah. um, for us and vacation time as well yeah. you know yeah. to try to keep them fresh and lively but you know it's it's a demanding job you know it's you know so i want to mention your book it's really good yeah i really actually enjoyed it because it's like a cookbook but then it has your story and it talks about like you say your roots and how that affects your cooking and one thing you talk about pretty honestly is how difficult the business was it wasn't glamorous like you said it was really tough and you saw your family go through some really tough times and you saw it sort of in a way help split your family break apart your family how did that not discourage you how did you push through that to continue with this down this path well you know it's like from you know 
a mom and pop's restaurant, you know, it's something that's, you know, everything's kind of under the table, definitely operates a little bit differently than, you know, a restaurant business model today where it's like under the LLC, you get workman's comp insurance and all these layers, right? HR, you know, we didn't have that. Um, but, you know, one thing I learned, it's like, I'm never going to do business with family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, if I can't, if I can't fire you, I'm not going to hire you. Oh, that's, a good yeah. that's, yeah. that's 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 my thing well and um, all that what do you think has been the hardest was it like washing dishes as a kid over the summer was it being a chef or a chef owner or opening restaurants like all those things have their own huge amount mm, of like stress yeah. burden cost you know emotional I mean, physical yeah and it's you know I always tell as a mentor I always tell my sous chefs like who were inspired to open their restaurant one day and I always remember because I was I was told this one time it's like Cooking is the easy part. If you just walk in and worry about the menu and cook, my life would be so easy and fun and less stressful. Yeah. It's the things that allow us to cook. It's not a deal in human resources now, right. which is a big deal. Um, and like numbers, you know, it's, it's still a business. And restaurants are small margins and it's a high failure rate. Yeah. You know, and our, sometimes our margins are small. So small, it's like, okay, you no, know, can we afford, can we raise our prices? It's kind of catch-22. If we raise our prices by a fraction so we can afford an extra employee for help, but would, would that like deter customers coming because now we're too expensive right. for this kind of category of food? Right, right. So it's, it's, you kind of pick and choose. You know? It's like, yeah, we want to use good ingredients, but good ingredients cost money. So you talk about mentoring. Sorry, mm-hmm. you talk about mentoring, and uh, we, some, we talk about mentoring a lot here too and how important that is in medicine. Um, I'm assuming you've had at least a couple of pretty powerful mentors, right? I have plenty of powerful mentors. Like, can I have? Can you get enough? <laughs> yeah. Do you? Where was it that you first start to get those? Was it when you were over in Europe? Was it here when you're in the culinary um, training? I think or? what really opened my eyes was well, cooking. You know, so I had my first fine dining job as at um, Manresa in Los Gatos, not three Michelin stars, under David Kinch. It's my first like kitchen where there's a brigade. You know, you have a chef de partie, you have different sections, everyone's in starch white jackets, no stains, yeah. cooking a fancy bonnet stove, prefix menu. You know, first time I ever worked with like truffles and rabbit and, you oh. know, and <clears throat> talk about OCD, it's like everything should be clean. You know, when you yeah. scrub the, the stainless steel, you, you go a certain way, you don't just make swirls. Um, that was part of the discipline I needed. You know, like I needed to tell me someone to tell me, like, no, you can't do that. You know, and like my as as a youth and as a teenager, I mean, I was you know, it was the Wild West. You know, I do whatever I want, get in trouble, mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get reprimanded by the cops, or whatever. But in the kitchen, never had that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like it was like militant. But that's what I needed. That's what I enjoyed. That's what mm-hmm, I wanted. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, it sounds like you needed the military or culinary school. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, those two. It, there is a lot of discipline and a lot of integrity. Um, and you said like you were having sort of a hard time as a kid. So do you see a lot of drugs, alcohol abuse in the restaurant world? Cause you know, we talked about people who are musicians on the road and mm-hmm. you know, depression and people trying to, you know, take drugs and alcohol to treat something cause they don't have the time or, you know, the education or the desire to seek other kinds of help. Oh, for sure. You know, like I'm, I've been fortunate enough. I was never around 
in was put in those situations, but I definitely heard you know hear stories from peers and right. other kids. But it, it does, you know, it's it's like I said, it's a high demanding job. Stress levels are high. Most likely you're underpaid. Um, but you know, when I went through the ranks, I knew that. And you're like, hey, I signed up for this job. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm gonna get paid shit. But it's better than spending eighty thousand dollars culinary school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Right. But there's right. something yeah. to um being a chef that's like sort of um. Like a, and I feel like we had this as trainees and maybe some doctors still to this day, we talk about it like there's this bragging rights or bravado or like um, something to say for how hard you worked and how, dis- you know, when I have a case at two in the morning, I'll definitely let Cave know. I'll be mm-hmm. like, I didn't get any sleep because I was, there was blood everywhere. You know, I did this procedure and it's not like I'm a hero, but it's, I'm venting and I want people to know that like this is part of the job. And I feel like, with chefs, maybe there's some of that, you know, like maybe not talk about some of their anxieties or depression or weaknesses, you know? Um, you definitely, it definitely exists. Like, you know, you never go like, nobody wants to be the weakest link, no matter yeah. where you go, right? Yeah. yeah. No one want to let the team down. But, you know, we've been, you know, I've been fortunate enough, like even the kitchen at Komi, you know, which is pretty, you know, it's a high production um, every day, every day of service, it's it's stressful. You know how yeah. we how we can we make satisfy customers and withhold standards, and it is stress, it's stressful on my part. I mean, and that stress gets really down to the chefs and the chef right. parties. But you know, they, I mean, they, they, you know, we when we did when we get hired, we just tell them us, hey, you know, it's gonna be long hours. <laughs> yeah, you know, and but you know, we try to make it a very happy work culture where like you know i'm never never profanity never raise my yeah. voice yeah you know it's 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 just the attitude and the kitchen culture has changed it's like how do you you know reach get the get the most out of them productively right and yeah. with a different approach rather than screaming yeah and like you know threatening and like right. th- that's old school that's stuff like you that know? guy on tv gordon whatever who like balls ramsey. people out ramsey yeah. i mean the classic example and i don't want to go to, you know, is Anthony Bourdain, you know, like there are these people that we hear who just, um, you know, it's good. The culture is changing. Cause I think there's a lot of people who just don't, don't want to talk about it. You know, it's, uh, so I was looking into this a little bit before you came on and, uh, looking to see if there's been any research done in this. And so there's been a couple of sort of studies that looked at uh, depression and, and drug abuse, alcohol abuse in the chef world. And so there was a survey done in London by this trade union called Unite. I'm not familiar with it, but apparently it's like a trade union for like chefs. And they reported that 51% of chefs suffer from depression. 78 have some serious accident or a near miss. And lots of them are taking painkillers, alcohol, etc. They did a larger study here in 2016 uh, of more than 2,000 restaurant workers. And there's this national nonprofit group, I don't know if you've heard of them, called Chefs with Issues. And uh, they found that at least 73% of people in the restaurant business were suffering from some sort of mental health condition. And Lizzie talks about, you know, Anthony Bourdain. The first time I realized I was in Sacramento, there was a chef up there named Noah Zonka. He ran this famous kitchen called uh, The Kitchen. And he, he was a great guy, super friendly. And then, you know, right before Anthony Bourdain's suicide, he was found dead of an apparent suicide as well. And it seems like this is something that sort of in the world of chefs, but just like nobody wants to talk about it because just like Lisa's saying, there's this bravado, like you just deal with it. It's stressful. You just deal with it. I mean, do you, I know in your restaurants, it has sort of a different vibe, but 
Do you see this in your friends in the restaurant business? Do you see this as a problem? Um, you know, it's for me, what I see is, um, it's not just a job, the job actually, it's almost like a domino effect, you know, because you're never home, you have a high demanding job. It affects, it also, you know, affects your personal life. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes like, you know, people want to go to the kitchen just to escape something. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's it's escaping that. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't talk about it. You know, it's just like, you know, it's like sometimes when you're really passionate about something, we use that as an escape. You know, sometimes like I, I feel like that. sometimes I have a really bad day. I'm stressed and, you know, yeah. kids are not listening to me and sure. it's hard to get them to school. It's like unbelievable. You know, I've never heard of that kind of thing. Happening. Yeah. Today I'm just going to work on this bread recipe. I don't want to be bothered. <laughs> it is very orderly and disciplined. So, again, it's like a an interesting OCD way to control things. So mm-hmm. maybe that's a good outlet. Um can you tell me about chefs and tattoos? I don't know how that like came about. Cultural America in the last 10, 15 years, but every, again, I Stereotype, spend too much yeah. time watching some of these shows because I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, honestly, just like with the reality TV, the competitive part, not necessarily mm-hmm. the cooking part because it's yeah. not like I'm doing anything here really. But uh, it's just, it's it, pervasive and I'm just yeah. so curious about it. I think it's just, I think it's, it's more of a, I think it's more like a now thing mm-hmm. or like the last five years or so. And the funny thing is I noticed the uh, same exact phenomenon with basketball players. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like five, 10 years sure. ago, right, like right. now all, every basketball player is tatted up. It, it's, 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 yeah. just, it's just yeah. very interesting. I don't, I don't know. Motto, you know I think it's that. And it's like, there are people who take pride in their industry. Like if you see like barbers these days, like all the like the hip barber shops, those guys are so tatted up and they have like these tattoos of like scissors or whatever. It's like I think people have a pride in their work and it's sort of part of the outfit almost like how tattoos. Come, well, how come we don't get it? Because we're wusses and it's painful. And also I'm very hairy. So I'm not sure where yeah. you would put it on my body. The hairy and, and, part you know, is like true. The whole tattoo thing, it's I have to say it's very addictive. How is many it, do you yeah. have? Mm-hmm, I have one. I have James. One. It's not that addictive. James, take but, off your shirt. No, that's, that's the only one I have. But, um, <laughs> but you know, when, when I was getting tattoos, like you know, people say it's painful. Like, I actually enjoyed it. Uh, I've heard that. Like, no, I've heard patients like, say it's that. It's like before. very, it's like very meditative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least I found it meditative. Yeah, yeah. Because you're trying to like not pay attention to the pain. You're like meditating away from the pain. Is that what you're doing? Kind of. It's well, like, it's like it's like in a lot of religions, part of like this meditative process to reach like a higher level, they inflict pain upon themselves, like lashes or whatever. She's hitting me for the for the <laughs> listener. Lizzie's hitting me. It doesn't work quite the same way. But let's let's talk a little bit more about some of the hazards of chefery. Is that a word I can use? No. Chefing. So you you're pretty like uh, conscious of of bullying or that kind of thing in your in your field. It seems like because. You know, I've been to your restaurants. They seem like happy places. I feel like that's like, you tell me, but like when I'm looking at a restaurant, I'm trying to figure out if it's going to be good or not. Like the, the number one thing I look, I look at two things. One, I look at the bathroom <laughs> to see if it's like nasty. If it's really nasty, then I'm like, the hygiene here probably sucks. And then I look to see if they're happy. Like if they look like they're happy, the people that work there, I'm like, oh, it's probably okay. Then third, also, if I see them eating the food, then I'm like, I'm happy about that. <laughs> but those are like the three things I think that like... Uh, Oh, for sure. Like being like, you know, when you're happy, you put out the best product. You know, you just, everything's just clicking right, service is going well, you're, you're thinking clearly, you're confident, 
you know, you're enthusiastic. I think that's when, I think in anything, you perform really well when, yeah. you know, those things click. Um, the bathroom thing for sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. especially if you don't have employee bathrooms, right. using bathroom as a guest. Um, that's one thing like, you know, we really want like touch base on as well. And like tasting food, like, you know, I always tell my cooks, like you guys, you need to taste your food. At the end of the service, you should taste everything you eat, everything you cook yeah. with a tasting spoon <laughs> once. Yeah. And I want you guys at the end of the, at the end of the shift, you shouldn't be hungry because yeah. you've been tasting all night. You know how do you how do you know how much salt to add to something or not to add to something if you haven't tasted? Right. Um, do you read reviews? Are you like do you look at Yelp stuff? Oh yeah, let's talk uh, about Yelp. Because as doctors, we um yeah. nobody really Yelps us, but then if they do, it's There's, usually dramatically right. awful. Mm. It's it's like three people, and one is like the worst, one is the best. And the other, the person is like, it's complaining about yeah. the, the other person said complaining about the parking or something. Yeah. For, for me, like Yelp, I don't look at Yelp ever. Um, for me, it's just a soundboard for people to complain. Um, there's never anything positive there. If I see, um, I, I just don't pay attention. It's just one, it's just one big distraction. Yeah. And some of it's so irrelevant. You know, it's like, I, sometimes I think like this, these people probably even dine here. You know, it's like the parking situation is horrible. One star. It's like, do you even eat at the restaurant or do you just try to find parking and leave and give us one star review? The best is like, it was raining so hard and we were soaking wet and I was really mad. And they give the restaurant like a bad <laughs> yeah. review. Like I've seen that yeah. stuff. And I'm like, no, I saw reviews of your restaurants. I looked at Yelp and they're, I thought for all the most part good but there were like people that complained and they complained about stuff that made me fucking crazy it was like there wasn't enough vegetarian options or something and i'm like that's not his job to provide you a vegetarian <laughs> yeah, option you don't have any options you, 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 know, <laughs> you know and like in in i think vegetarian food is great i think we should be eating more of it it's great but then you can go to a different restaurant like to complain about that i thought was was not appropriate and people yeah. who put the yelps in put like a one star for that they're missing the point of yelp they're hurting people with like real like mom and pop stores who just aren't serving them exactly what they want that actually kind of annoys me when i see that i could see why you wouldn't even want to look yeah, at it it's it's not it's definitely not you know accountable it's not quantified enough you know it's like people can write anything it's not well curated yeah. um you know the same like if you have like open like Restaurants have open table, you know, the restaurant. I mean, yeah. you could leave reviews on open table as well. And I used to read those, and those are really definitely more tasteful, hmm. you know, and actually, you know, write a, a paragraph, yeah, you know, and like they dine there because you can't write a review unless you dine there. Yeah. So that's like, that's more quiet. And when we had open table, when we opened Komi, we had, you know, when we compared that to Yelp reviews, I'm like, Yelp's for shit. You know, these people actually dine here at open table, and yes, it's a, you know, constructive review. Yeah. We could, you know, reach out to them and talk to them about their experience firsthand and so and so. But Yelp, I think it's just like, you know, it's <laughs> someone told me it's like Yelp were for people who used to talent tell. Yeah. Tell their kid. Right, right, right. right. For, the, for the rat in the class. Yeah, exactly. Snitch. <laughs> <laughs> Snitches end up in ditches. You're you're married into medicine. Mm -hmm. Your wife is a doctor. If your kids came to you and like, dad, we're torn between being a doctor or going into the world of the restaurant business, what would you say? I was like, do what you do what you like. You know, if you want to get into restaurants, but here, here are the things that, you know, what, here's my life, <laughs> what I went through. You know, it's not all glamorous. It's not all 
pretty things on Instagram nowadays, which like, which is horrible. It's all smoke and mirrors, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they enjoy and really passionate about what to do and to have their head on right, I think they could succeed and do really well. Um, so for the listeners, that's not a resounding yes. <laughs> I mean, for sure. I mean, if they want to be a chef, like do it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like, uh, you know. Yeah. With a lot of warnings. A lot with of warnings, like here are the pitfalls. Right. You know, a lot of work, sit down You're going to work your butt off. You can yeah. be, you know, on your feet. Yeah. yeah. Well, honestly, would you rather like they, would you rather they became a doctor? Would you think just more like security in that? You feel like you, as a father, you yeah. feel like you would sleep better at night knowing that your kids were. Becoming, oh, for sure. You know, mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Yeah. There's but, a high risk that one of them will be a doctor. Just so you know. Yes. That's, you're looking at like the result of two like, <laughs> kids who came from families of doctors. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Joe is our third, uh, host. He's not here. Um, and he recorded a message for you. Now we have to preface this. Um, I haven't screened this. Mm-hmm. So the thing about Joe is it could be, uh, brilliant. It could be some sweet little post piece of like Joe poetry, uh-huh. or it could be a total train wreck of a question. My guess is it's just him snoring. I'm, a, I'm ready for it. Let's do it. <laughs> That's a very good chance. So Joe is for not a doctor. He's our um, representative, you know. Drummer. Drummer, <laughs> right. Okay, here we go. Oh, hi, James. This is Joe. Thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> we feel privileged to be having such a great chef on our show. I have just one question. Uh, I noticed that... Um, You've worked a lot with Anthony Bourdain, and he said a ton of great things about you on some uh, news stations that I had researched before the show. And I just wanted to know, how did you get to meet him, Anthony, and then uh, how's it been working with him? I know a lot of people are fans, and with his passing, I uh, would love to know a little more about your relationship with him, if possible. Thanks a lot. He had a little trouble hanging up the phone there. <laughs> I got a little nervous when he was asking that question. I'm like, does he not know that Anthony oh, Bourdain yeah, passed? Nice. I, was little, I was a little nervous. But uh, so you got the gist of the question Yes, there. yes. Um, prior to the cookbook, uh, I've never met Anthony Bourdain before. Um, the way I linked up with him was through our um, literary agent, um, Kim from Inkwell. And I was writing the book, writing the proposal, and... Um, David Kinch, my mentor, is like, hey, she talked to Kim at Inkwell Management. She, you know, represents a lot of chefs and cookbooks. She'll guide you through the whole publishing process. She's great, blah, blah, blah. So we shot the book proposal to her, and she read it, flipped through it, and like, you know, it's just like, you know, I think Tony will, will like, this is totally up Tony's alley. I'm like, Tony who? <laughs> I'm like, oh, Tony Bourdain. And it's like, oh, you know Tony? And we're like, yeah, me and Tony were like, you know, BFFs. I have a, we worked together since Kitchen Confidential days. I'm mm. his agent, and it's like really. It's like you think he'll be into it. It's like he loves Southeast Asia. He loves Laos. He loves Vietnam. Um, he totally gets it. And I was like, that'll be an honor to be show it to him. And then next day, she called back. She goes, Hey, you know, can you get on a phone call with Tony? He wants to talk to you. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay. I'm nervous as shit. You know, I'm like, okay. Okay, he's gonna call me and he's like yeah he's gonna be calling you at a weird time because he's in like you know the middle east right now filming so yeah. he took his time to call me he goes james i was like 
hey chef <laughs> he was just a habit you know <laughs> even though he hates to be called chef i found that out later because mm-hmm. he's like he's not a chef anymore according to him yeah. um he's like hey man love your story love your book for me like i love the food love laos it's definitely a hidden treasure like people always think about vietnam and thailand Laos is where it's at, you know, and the whole Vietnam War thing and the Secret War did lots of death in, in, in your story, you know, the refugee and yeah. and appreciate like chef's story and you know food could be great, but the story makes it better. And I, I want you, I want to publish a book, you know, and now you give us the biggest PR platform that anybody can offer. Or you have your issues with publishing, you know, I'm the one to go to to answer to, and. He's like, he's like, yeah, I'd love to, love to have you. And we like, I need to think about this for a couple of days. No, funny thing is, <laughs> funny thing is, uh, so he made a proposal. It's like, you know, gave us like, you know, the seed money to publish the book. And I was like, and Kim's obviously she's working both sides. And, you know, it's like Kim, uh, it's like, wow, that's a that's a good number. You know, it's like you know, I have a co-author, I have Eric Wolfinger photographer. It's like. It's like, is it be bad look if I countered Tony? <laughs> it's like, it's like, how much were you thinking about? It's like, well, here's the number. She goes, yeah, I don't think that's bad. Said, yeah, yeah, let's, let's counter him. I was like, okay, you would know best, right? You, Tony is new to me, so. Um, and yeah, and you've countered offer, and then he, um, he called me you. back. Yeah, he's like, he's like, man, I love your style, kid. I got some balls. <laughs> I think that's when we really hit it off. Yeah. You know, he's like, "You got some balls." Cool. I'm like, "It's like, yeah, chef. I'm sorry. You know, we, we got to make you know, we got bills to pay. To feed. I got kids to feed. He's, just yeah. Yeah. Chef. he's like, yeah, this can, yeah, it's gonna be fun. So yeah, that's how we kind of linked up. And I didn't meet. That was just a phone call. I didn't meet him until actually I went to Laos. Yeah, uh, face unknown. to face, parts unknown. Yeah, and that was an interesting how that came about. I went to like Legacies of War. Is a campaign um, out of DC is to raise money to clear the UXO or- ordinances yeah. in Laos, and I was helping them fundraise in New York City, and they're asking me because the reason why the Obama administration know about the Secret War was through one of his earlier shows on Laos, mm. Mm. and they wanted ask me if I can ask Tony to come speak so they could raise money and you know people will listen to Tony. Yeah. And I emailed, I was like, hey, you know, I won't be in New York. Let's get let's get dinner. And, you know, you want to come by and say a few words about Laos and blah, blah, this fundraiser event. And emailed me back right away. He goes, it's like, oh, funny you ask. I'm actually in Laos right now. It's wow. like, come join me. Get on a plane. It's cool. like, we were shooting Parts Unknown in Long Prabang. I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah. He's like, so-and-so will get you a ticket and from New York. I flew to Laos and landed and on the set right away and yeah nice. first been first time face to face in Laos and felt like we'd known each other forever and just like yeah, yeah it was just very surreal because you know when the Kitchen Conference came out I was in high school yeah and also watching his TV shows hearing his voice you yeah. know and then to hear his voice like there person there yeah. I was like whoa what's going on he has such a distinctive voice too like in he writes the preface to your book and you hear his voice talking to you as through his writing yeah. I mean, it's really. He, I mean, he's like off and on camera. It's him. Yeah. Yeah. There's no distinguishing. Like he's it's like. It's not an act. It's not a yeah. shtick. It's total like wordsmith. I mean, that's what's appealing. I mean, that's why everyone feels like yeah. you know when when he died. I remember just watching CNN and um 
everyone's just like it feels like you sort of lost someone you knew right. even though i never met him i you know i did read kitchen confidential also many years ago but um there's something just about it it's so unpretentious yeah. and like normal down to earth and familiar yeah, i don't know what it is that, honest that one yeah. totally yeah. that one hurt me more than 99 percent of those kinds of celebrity things do because you i mean he seemed to have everything that i would want like he had like this great show he was doing what he loved he had an authentic real voice he was being himself and it just goes to prove i mean really like it can happen to anyone i mean that kind of thing can can happen to anyone did you feel were you surprised when you heard of, 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 of course I was in shock I was like I woke up to a bad dream you know and I, I remember that morning my phone was I was getting text messages it was on silence on vibrate and I just noticed like it vibrated off the oh, nightstand and my wife like shook me woke me up it's like hey oh my god he's like Tony died I'm like huh who <laughs> you know and then I started checking like check your phone it's been ringing non-stop and I was like oh my it's like I just laid there like crying like I was yeah. like so surreal. Yeah. I didn't know what to think about it, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, you know, I mean I, I mean I hear his I feel like I hear his voice all the time and I know it's like you feel like the world's much a larger place now without him, you know? So I feel yeah. like everything was so close. Yeah. And I mean just just a food show, it was a cultural show. He which he touched into politics yeah. and how that relates to food, yeah, you know, culture and you when know. when he went to Iran, that was that was huge for me. Like I I saved that episode and like when we had friends come over, I think I probably even made Lizzie watch it. Like I, friends would come over and, and I'd be like, here, I want you to see this. Like he showed, he was a, one of the first people like Rick Steves did a long time ago, but not quite the same way. Like he showed that these are like normal people. This is the food they eat. The food brings us all together. The food's delicious. The people are cool. And like, it, it was super touching to me mm-hmm. that, that he did that, and he was so brave. And to lose that voice, it really hurts. That I could only imagine what's like in your situation yeah. from him being a mentor and a friend. You have the book, you have his voice, and that all. You know, that's some version of a carrying it on. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, one of a kind. Yeah, gold standard. So um, you know, uh, we should let you go. We should bring it to a, a close. But um, uh, first, I want to. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, uh, sorry I was late. No, no worries. <laughs> you're a busy guy. Um, you're uh, you're an interesting guy, man. You you sort of seem to be very comfortable in these two very separate worlds, like this this uh, starch white jacket, super OCD world of uh, fine dining, and you seem mm. at home there. But at the same time, you seem totally at home, like uh, eating out of like a, a taco vendor, like on the side streets of like a foreign city, like. Wearing no shoes, I've seen you in pictures. So, I mean, like, you seem to be really honestly comfortable in these different worlds. And I think that's really rare because I feel like it's usually one or the other. Uh, you know, the fine dining side keeps me intact, keeps me sane. It's like that, this, like that, you know, self discipline, you know, and now, and now I, have to, I have to lead by example, right? So, I, yeah. I got to watch how I dress how can I enforce a standard if I'm not up to standards yeah you know that's always like lead by example um, per se so uh, yeah I mean it's, it's I mean it's the I mean the taco trucks and taco stands and the street food like that's I mean for me that's you know even in fine dining it's like want something genuine yeah you know something that's from the heart soulful wholesome is the word you know there's something that's like really satisfying about it 
some some fine dining restaurants are very satisfying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love I love I love both schools of dining. Um, it just you, you it's just in the context of like mindset and mind frame, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's very interesting. I have like this two like I'm I'm in both sides of the pool. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to be in the Bay Area, there's a couple of options for you. You can go to Hawker Fair in San Francisco. You can go to Hawking Bird or Old Can Beer. Uh, Old Can Beer, right? In, mm-hmm. in company in, in Oakland. And you can go to his flagship restaurant, Komi, which is an amazing dining experience. Um, and if you're not lucky enough to be around, pick up his book, Hawker Fair, Stories and Recipe from a Refugee Chef's Ice and Thai and Lao Roots. It's a great cookbook. Even I could use it. So it's not too complicated, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. So James, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All anecdotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.